You're listening to audio from Northway Church. For more information about Northway and additional resources, please visit northwaychurch.com. Amen. Well, good morning, Northway family. Happy Easter. We are here to worship a resurrected King named Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. That is why we are here. If you are a guest among us, friend and family of this church, just so grateful you're with us. My name is Shay Sumlin, one of the pastors here at Northway, and it is an honor for us to celebrate this Easter together and worship our resurrected King, Jesus. You know, we have been singing uh, this morning about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, a hope that was established for us on this day some 2,000 years ago when Jesus rose from the dead. And I have to tell you, as we enter into this celebration, I'm very aware that if there is one thing that Northway Church needs right now, if there is one thing that the city of Dallas needs right now, there's one thing that our world so desperately needs right now. It is hope. It is hope above all other hopes. And I go into this Easter very mindful of the, the kind of year that we have all walked through together. And if you were to ask me, you know, what kind of hope is it that would mark, um, that would mark the year that we've gone through, I would call it a dead hope. It's really just been a year filled with dead hopes. And by definition, what I mean is a, a dead hope, is that, is that kind of hope that begins with so much promise, so much possibility, and then terminates on reality. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You know what it's like to have such great hope and build up of such promise, and then it just terminates on a broken reality that it comes face to face with. All of us have walked through that. And I know this year, there are many, many of our members that I've walked with who did have big hopes for this year. I mean, just common grace hopes, just hopes of a really good family vacation they were gonna go on this past year, and then it just got dashed. Hopes of a wedding that I know so many had, this dreams of this great venue and everybody, friends and family, they're there in person, and then having everything get stripped out, having to push the wedding back, having to change venues, having to suspend it indefinitely. There's been hopes that have been dashed through that. There are many folks who... High school prom got moved back. Stability that they were hoping for in the job this past year just totally got ripped out. There's this idea of this hope that becomes a dead hope. It just does not live on. Northway Church, man, we've had a lot of hopes as a church. We had hopes in our replanting of ourselves in 2019 and hopes of really a robust training pipeline that we were gonna get off the ground and hopes of missionaries that were gonna be sent. We even had hopes of a remodeled, foyer in our worship center and sort of happened, sort of happened. Some of those things, a little different than we thought. Um, We've had all kinds of hopes that just got dashed. These are dead hopes that have been all around us. And especially this year, I've walked with many of our members who have walked in an unusual amount of despair, an unusual amount of loneliness and fear, uh, isolation, We've got members that have just confessed they have had a a year straight of being buried in their social media timelines and have just had a slow death by comparison this entire year. Folks who have had such incredibly deep pain and division over racial and political and economic polarization in our culture right now. And I've walked with more people than I can count this year that really have expressed to me they feel like they're at the end of their rope because they just cannot fathom a God who has overcome suffering, who has overcome 
pain, who has overcome injustice, and a God who's actually overcome death, who actually conquered death, a God who is sovereign over all of these things. And yet the truth is, is that we as Christians, as Christ followers, we have the great joy of knowing the resurrected Christ, Jesus, Jesus our Lord, who by the way, has identified with every pain and brokenness that we could go through. Jesus, who identified with homelessness. Jesus, who himself was a single man his entire life in a culture saturated by families all around him, who understood that tension, that loneliness, that Jesus who, who understood what it meant to be abandoned, who understood poverty, who, who understood the death of loved ones, who had sickness all around him, who had cries for deliverance all around him. Jesus who understood racial and political injustice and polarization all around him in his day. Jesus who understood his own persecution, even understood his own murder and death. And yet we know this Jesus, who didn't just walk through those things as we did, who actually went into the grave and came out of the grave for us. We know this Jesus, this resurrected Christ. The whole reason why we gather today, along with the historic church all throughout the world, not just this day, but every Sunday, to remember that Jesus Christ is alive. And if he is alive, then there is hope a true and living hope that can never be defeated. And so this morning, I want, I want us to rest in a very brief passage that was written for a deeply hopeless people in order to point not only them, but to point us towards a living and transcendent hope that surpasses all circumstances and sustains us through all brokenness. So if you have a Bible with you, I'd love for you to turn with me to the letter of 1 Peter in your New Testament. It's uh, towards the end of your Bible. 1 Peter. Um, and man, I got to tell you, if there is any author in your New Testament who understood suffering, it was Peter. I mean, Peter, first of all, we're introduced. Peter is one of Jesus's disciples, one of the 12, arguably probably the closest to Jesus out of the 12, um, became an influential leader in the first century church, but early on, early on, when we're introduced to Peter, he is a young man who suffers from a bad case of foot and mouth disease. Like this brother just always just shooting himself in the foot, man. Always ready, fire, aim. That's Peter. And yet what you see is this progression of maturity in his faith that God takes him on this journey that is ordained by suffering. It is sustained by suffering. This is a man who personally knew what it was like to be persecuted, beaten, imprisoned for his faith, for following Jesus. And yet God sustained him the whole way by his grace and by the hope of Christ. And based on most dating accounts, this letter that we're going to be in here just was written about 30 years after Jesus, after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. 30 years later, Peter pens this, and he pens it on what many believe was right on the heels of the execution of the Apostle Paul. Paul, who wrote most of our New Testament, writing to most of these churches that were in Central Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, and after he is executed, Peter picks up the baton 
and is going to speak right to these people who are at a point of devastation. Churches that were undergoing immense persecution, seeing their heroes of the faith be executed and were filled with a lot of doubt. And Peter writes this letter to them to bring them solidarity in hope, but hope that is not attached to circumstances, not attached to human beings, not attached to ideologies, a hope that is fixated to a living God who has conquered death and a hope that can never be taken away. And what Peter is going to remind them and what he's going to remind us this morning through three short verses here is he is going to remind us of a past act that has secured for us a future promise that sustains a present reality. If you're an outliner, there you go. Past act, future promise, present reality, all right here. Starting in verse three of chapter one, look at this past act that Peter is so excited about. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter begins with an anthem of praise. That word blessed, by the, by the way, that's used there, um, we get our word eulogy from it. That's how it'd be transliterated from Greek to English. We get our word eulogy. It means to honor somebody, to glory in someone's life. We use these at funerals, eulogies, to glory in one's life, to, to talk about the worthiness of the life that they lived. We, we eulogize them, and yet here, the glory, the honor, the worthiness is only ascribed to one above anybody else. It is God Almighty. And why is he eulogized? Why is he to be blessed and praised? Because he has caused us to be born again, to be saved, to be rescued from all those dead hopes that we have previously put our trust in that come to nothing, to now be born again to a living hope, one that can never be taken away. And do you notice what it is in this verse that has caused this rescue to occur, this living hope to occur? It wasn't our good works. It wasn't our own merit. It wasn't our worthiness that brought about this rescue. It was one word that Peter uses, mercy. Mercy. It's a word, by the way, that is used over and over by the Apostle Paul and by Peter in their letters to sum up the totality of the way in which God has rescued us, mercy. Mercy is when you withhold something that somebody deserves, which in this case would have been death. For the wages of our sin, we deserve death, and God's mercy withheld it from us. And in its place, we get grace. Grace is when you then give somebody something that they don't deserve, which in this context would be life. But again, this, this one act of mercy is essentially what we just celebrated on Friday night, on Good Friday, when Jesus Christ was delivered over for us in our place by absorbing the penalty of our sins. See, sin is what's wrong with this world. Biblically speaking, when you wanna talk about what it is that has made this world such a fractured place, you talk about the pain that we've been through through this pandemic, the hatred that's in our culture right now, the divisiveness that's there. Um, you talk about all the death and lament and sickness and anything that we might suffer 
the scriptures tell us that was brought into the world because of sin. Sin is when we have rebelled against God and have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we have worshiped the creation over the creator. And when that moment sin enters in the picture, God's curse was on sin, which then went over the entire planet, humanity and everything in it, and and fractured it beyond human repair. And we were alienated, cut off from God to an eternal death. And in God's amazing mercy, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to step into the penalty that we deserved by absorbing the very just wrath of God that was on us and putting it upon himself. And in exchange through his shed blood on the cross, giving us peace with God, sins forgiven and cleansed, righteousness clothed us in so that we can stand in the presence of God, eternally secure forever for those who put their faith in him. And he didn't just stay dead. Jesus, who took our sins into the grave, cast them as far as the east is to the west, buried them for all eternity, came up out of that grave triumphant, resurrected, defeating even death itself. And in fact, if you notice this past act of mercy of what Jesus has done, causing us to be born again to a living hope. That living hope isn't a what. Our hope is not in a what, it's not a thing, it's in a who. Jesus Christ. Listen to how Paul said of Jesus's resurrection, how confident we are in it in Romans 6, 9, when he says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead, he will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him because Jesus came up out of that grave. There's no double jeopardy here. Jesus can't die again. It's over, it's finished. He has been raised to the newness of life for the rest of eternity. Death will never have power over him. He is inconquerable now. He is inconquerable because he has conquered death once and for all. And the scriptures tell us for all who are in Christ, when you put your faith in him rather than lesser things, what's true of him becomes true of you. It gets transferred to your account. And so now the object of our hope can shift now from all those dead hopes that the world offers us, which all end and now can be raised to a living hope, a hope that can never be defeated. Think about that. And and so here's the deal. This past act has secured for us now a future promise that can never be taken away. Listen to this as it's described in verse four. This living hope has given us now an inheritance. An inheritance is a future estate that's secured for you, it's just not yours in full yet. It will come and be payable upon death. This inheritance, he says, is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now, think about that. Notice how Peter defines our future treasure, our future inheritance, this living hope, which is our ultimate salvation that is still to come. He defines it by three things that stand in stark contrast to all the dead hopes you and I are tempted to put our trust in. He says, this living hope is imperishable. 
It's undefilable and it's unfading. It is imperishable, meaning it can never die. It can never be taken away. Now think about that. Can that be said of anything else that you're putting your hope in? Even good things that we would hope in. Uh, can you put, can you have a good hope in a, a good marriage, a healthy marriage, or a job that you are hoping to get? Yeah, yeah, can you put that? But can it be said that those things will live forever? No. Everything in our humanity, in our infinite understanding of time and space, has an end date on it. Even a marriage, even a job, certainly a life. I mean, our hopes can be dashed. I, I'm gonna tell you this weekend, took my daughters to Bishop Arts so they could get a nice boba tea and hang out on a nice day. We get in there, they're out of boba. You know why? It's stuck in the Suez Canal right now. That's literally what they told us. They said their boba is on a container in the Suez. You wanna talk about hope dashed right then? Makes you sick. Their hope had to be put on pause. It had a timestamp. It met reality and it perished. The same can be said of money, of wealth, 401ks. Whatever you are putting your hope in, as good as it can be, it's perishable. Only Jesus Christ, who conquered the grave, it can be said is imperishable, never to die. Hook, hook yourself to that wagon right there. But he says, not only is it imperishable, it's undefiled, meaning it's totally untouched by sin or evil. I mean, think about, can that be said of any other hope that you would put your hope in? Is there any, as good as the relationships are, as good as the job is, as good as the organizations or institutions that you wanna put your trust in right now? Are any of those pure and pristine? Is there the chance of hidden motives Corruption behind the scenes? Absolutely. There is nothing that we can touch in this, in this material world that is not stained by sin and has the possibility of corruption, but not so with Jesus Christ. He will never undergo decay again because he has been born again. That hope is undefiled. And not only that, it's unfading. Unfading means it's never given to corruption, never is gonna wear out, totally unimpaired over time. Now, can that be said of your iPhones? Wouldn't that be great if our iPhones are that way? You just only needed one iPhone the rest of your life. No, because Apple has rigged it so that in about six weeks, you're gonna need a new one. It's gonna be outdated, it's time-stamped, it's gonna fade. And anything we're gonna hitch our wagons to in this culture is gonna fade. It's gonna wear out over time. Even the birth and beauty of new relationships at some time are gonna fade. But not so with Jesus Christ. He is unfading, this living hope. Folks, there is not a single hope in this world that, that this world can offer you that has the Midas touch, none of them. There is much to enjoy in this world, common grace gifts that the Lord has given us to enjoy as a reflection of his glory. But when it comes to setting your hope on those things, taking a good thing and trying to make it an ultimate thing in your life, it's a mirage. It will disappoint you. And I gotta tell you, I wanna speak just for a moment pastorally, even to our singles in this room, because our church has a lot of singles, which I'm so thankful for. And this has been an especially difficult year. I've walked with so many singles in our church. 
who really expressed. It's been difficult for all of us, but especially there's been a unique space of isolation in a lot of our singles, men and women who've just expressed how a normal pain and longing for a future hope has been more and more exasperated this year. It's longing for marriage, longing for family, longing for a built-in community in the midst of this isolated year we've walked through. And as much grace and understanding as I have for that space that you are in, at the same time, I can confidently tell you right now, 21 years into marriage, that I can confidently say as one who, whose current reality is your aspiration, that loneliness does not go away on the other side of the altar. Just because you get married, just because you have a family, it doesn't mean that you're not going to battle loneliness. Because the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And it just transfers with you from one stage of life to the next. And as good as marriages are, man, I love my wife. So grateful for our marriage, so grateful for our kids. As good as they are, even something as good as marriage and something as good as family still makes awful saviors when you try to put your hope in them. It'll disappoint you. You got to have something more. There has got to be some hope out there that transcends all circumstances and even death that can never fade, that can never be defiled, and that can never die, that I can hold to and that I know will hold me. And that right here is the promise of our risen Christ. That is now the inheritance that when you've trusted in Jesus is secured and stored up for you in heaven. The perfect presence of Christ one day in new bodies, clothed in righteousness, unstained by sin, no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. And that hope of that inheritance is 100% imperishable, undefiled and unfading, and you can take it to the bank. And right now, Peter tells us here, the assurance of that future promise is what holds you and anchors you in the midst of this present broken reality called life that we will walk through. And you see this in verse five and following here. This living hope, this future inheritance that can never be taken away by God's power is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He says, oh, the hope of the resurrected Christ that has purchased for you a salvation that can never be taken away, that work is done. It is as good as finished right now. God has gone Fort Knox on your salvation. And to the one who has put their faith in Jesus Christ, what Peter just told us right here, not only does God guard and keep that treasure for you, he also guards and keeps you for that treasure. He cannot lose you. He cannot forsake you. Why? Because Christ has conquered the grave. His mercy for you. No matter what trials you'll walk through, there is an eternal joy and a living hope that sustains you and will carry you through to the very end. And though you do not see it now, that does not mean it's not coming. That doesn't mean it's not true. 
because it is. Look what he says. Jump down to verse 8. We'll see this, verse 8 and 9. Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. It's filled with glory. It's the guy who's got the crud kicked out of him. And he's saying, look at the joy that I have in the midst of it. Because it's over the obtaining of the outcome of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. Oh, there is a hope that is alive and active for you that can never be taken away. You know, Proverbs 13, 12 nails this truth for us. When the proverb says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it does, doesn't it? When you have to wait for your hope to come true. 2021, 2020, it's been just a year of heart disease, sickness over failed hopes. However, he says, a, a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When that hope comes to its full fruition, it is like a tree that never stops producing fruit and sustains your life for the rest of eternity. Now think about that. Hope deferred makes sick, but when it comes true, oh, it is a good thing. Now, you know what's interesting? The Old Testament writer who wrote that, I find it interesting, if you were to fast forward the tape all the way to the end of your Bible, listen to what John saw in a vision of the final state of our salvation in heaven when Christ returns and takes us home. Listen to what he saw in Revelation 22. Listen to these words. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Here's this river running through the center of the new Jerusalem, the heavenly kingdom, full of life. And what he sees on either side of the river is the what? Tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart grow sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. He is seeing the fulfillment of our hope secured by the resurrected Savior in this moment. And what is that tree there for? What's it doing with 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month of the year? There is no barren season. There is no dormant season. It is just the abundance of life every day of the year for the rest of eternity. And notice it is the leaves of that tree that are for the healing of the nations. There is a day coming when every wound that you have incurred, every injustice that you have incurred, every sorrow and lament and sting of death, it will be fully healed. Done. There is a day that John sees here where no longer will anything be cursed, but the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his servants, that's us, we will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be on our foreheads and night will be no more. You're not gonna need the light or lamps or sun for the Lord God is gonna be our light. And what will we be doing with him? We will reign forever and ever. Hope deferred makes a heart grow sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. What Jesus has purchased for us on the cross and from the empty tomb 
is a hope that can never be taken away. So why in the world would we ever want to settle for any lesser hope when this hope has been given to us? Amen? And so if you are in this room this morning, and maybe this is the first time you're hearing or contemplating this, that everything that you have been settling for is ultimately, even good things are ultimately a dead hope. It cannot sustain you for eternity. Everything has a timestamp and a shelf life on it, even the greatest of things. But you're hearing, maybe for the first time, that there is a God who so loved you, so loved you, that he moved heaven and earth to pour out his mercy for you, to send his son to pay the penalty for your sin. Your rebellion and treason against God has been put upon Jesus Christ. The shame and the guilt of your sins has been placed on him. And that by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, that you can have his righteousness. You can have your sins forgiven. And the promise that because Jesus came up out of that grave, he has got you for the rest of eternity and can never lose you. There is no news greater than that. No matter what happens this Easter Sunday, no matter how fun your egg hunt is going to be here in a few hours, there is no news that compares with this news. You must grapple with this. You must wrestle with this truth. And may you give your life to the one who gave his life for you, that you too could be saved and have a living hope that will carry you through, even through death for the rest of your life. To all those who have done that, then man, this is just a story rehearsal right now that we get to do of praise and anthem to the God who has saved us and made all this possible, this living hope through Jesus Christ. And as we invite the band back up on the stage, we want to continue in worship of this God who's given a son for us. And we want to do so by remembering his work through communion together. When you came in, you should have gotten one of these packets. Hopefully you did. But If you've yet to put your faith in Jesus Christ, we'd simply tell you, hold off on this meal. This is a symbolic memorial meal that is meant to represent the truth that we have believed in of what Jesus has done for us by giving his body and his blood for us on the cross. If you have yet to put your faith in Jesus, it becomes an empty, meaningless symbolism. Instead, we'd encourage you to consider the personal work of Jesus, that your faith might be rooted in him first. And once that is true, then now this becomes an opportunity to rehearse the good news of what we've been given in Jesus. When on the night when Christ shared his, uh, his Passover meal with his disciples, we just celebrated this past Friday, Good Friday, Jesus in the midst of that meal held up the bread, what was the bread of affliction, and he said, this bread is my body, which has been broken for you. And he asked us to take this in remembrance of him. We are remembering that sin demanded death. And it also demanded a substitute because we weren't worthy of that death. Christ the righteous came for us. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And so we remember Christ's body given for us for salvation to Christ. In the same way, in that same meal, Christ not only took the bread, but he took the cup 
Most likely was the cup of redemption, the promise that God would save and redeem by his power, not ours. And Jesus at that moment held up the cup and said, this cup is my blood, which is the blood of a new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And we're to take this in remembrance of him. We're remembering his blood that has cleansed us from all sin, all unrighteousness. We drink under the blood of Christ. And to that end, we say, Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus for us. Thank you that on this day, and not just this day, but every day, we can remember not only the death that Christ died, but the resurrection that overcame death, overcame sin, overcame Satan himself. It was given for us so that we who are in Christ might walk in the newness of life, be born again to a living hope. Help us to not take that for granted, O oh Lord. Help us to stand in exaltation of the name above every other name. There is no one else who is more worthy of our worship this morning than the name of Jesus Christ because nobody has given what he has given. Nobody has overcome what he has overcame and he did this for us. So God, help us. Help us to be filled with all of you and help us to, be, to walk out of this place, not only transformed by this news, but to herald it to a world so desperately in need of hope. And we pray this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand and let's keep singing about this living hope that we've been given. Thank you for listening to this message from Northway Church. A podcast should never replace gathering with God's people to worship Jesus. So we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church family. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 11.15, and 4 p.m., and would love for you to join us as we encounter the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus.